0: Hi there everyone, I trust that you're doing well and that you're really enjoying this series as much as I am. We're going to continue today with Personal Mastery God's Way, Part 4 and we're going to be talking about how successful people understand their calling. Successful people understand their calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you are here and that you're transforming us through your word. We open our hearts to you and Holy Spirit we ask that you go deep You dig deep into our hearts and you change us with your powerful truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, it's one thing to know your calling. It's another thing to maximize it. What's happening today is a lot of people are dancing around their callings. They talk about their callings. They pray about their callings. But I believe that there are few people who are fully maximizing their calling. You see, when God calls you, it's not a secret in heaven. When he calls you, he also instructs heaven's resources to be released on your behalf. He never calls you to do something that he won't provide for. Someone once said, God's will will never take you where his grace cannot sustain you. You know that the angels have to know about your calling. You know, if they're assigned to assist you in your calling, they have to know about it. And the Bible says that angels are ministering servants who've been appointed to help those who are to receive salvation. You see, two people can have the same gift, but it manifests differently, doesn't it? Our gift mix is not the same. You have some people who are prophetic teachers, right? And some other people who are uh, apostolic teachers, right? There's some people who are prophetic evangelists, and there are other people who are evangelistic prophets. We've got different gift mix. And sometimes we like to box people, but you have to look at what your gift mix is and you also have to you have to look at your primary gifts your secondary gifts then you also have to consider your natural talents and your individual style and your personality all of these things end up determining how you end up ministering and we're not the same you know some people have received their calling but they're using the incorrect platform so I want to help you in this message and in subsequent messages to really maximize your calling you see your passion and your life role or your calling need to work together you can have two people who are passionate about young entrepreneurs they're both called to young entrepreneurs but in terms of gifting one of them is a teacher and the other one is a connector or a weaver and it's so important that the teacher teaches those people and the weaver or connector connects those young entrepreneurs to funders and to other people who can take them to their next level. And the problem we're facing today is we find that a lot of weavers and connectors have only been exposed to teaching. So then they try to teach the young entrepreneurs and the young entrepreneurs are not blessed because the person isn't gifted with regards to teaching So can you see the link between your passion and your calling and then also your life role or your gifting? It's so important to understand these things because they determine our success in ministry. They determine our effectiveness in that which God has called us to. So in this message we're going to explain some keys to understanding and maximizing your calling. And my scripture is 2nd Timothy chapter 1 I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 9. It starts with verse 1. I'm going to exegete Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God In keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus <laughs> It's so crucial to understand that your calling is by the will of God. Paul was secure in his calling because he knew that God is the one who's called him. It's not man who had called him. And you have to resolve that in your heart that I'm called by God in whatever sphere you're called to, whether you're called as a prophet, as a teacher, as an evangelist, or you called as a mom, you called as a dad. We've got different types of calling, haven't we? Maybe you called as a kingdom financier. And so part of your calling is to be a serial entrepreneur. So it's important to understand this. And this is the first principle I want to share with you, that you are called by God's will and command. Your calling is a command. It's not a suggestion, right? Your calling is something in God's mind, It's so important that we disciple people with regards to calling. It's something in God's mind. You see, God is a bit like an architect. If you say to an architect, I want you to build me a building, the architect is going to say, what type of building? Is it a school? Is it an office? Is it a residential apartment? What type of building? So he thinks of the purpose first and then designs it accordingly. And God is a bit like that. He thought of your purpose. He thought of your function. And then he wired you according to that. He didn't just wire you anyway. He didn't just uh, fashion you in some ad hoc manner and then decide, "Mm, I think I'm going to call him to this. No. That's why the Bible says that when he created us, it was with great care. Right? We're fearfully and wonderfully made. That speaks of care. Your calling is not something you fabricated. So it's something you discover. It's not something you make up. You see, there's a difference between natural talents and supernaturally endowed gifts. Your natural talent is something you're good at, but that doesn't mean it always energizes you. There are many of you, you're multi-talented, but it doesn't mean you're called to everything that you're talented in, all right? God is an abundant God, and so he gives us so many resources Right? He gives you brain power, he gives you skill, talent. And for the and for a lot of people, their challenge is now choosing which one should I pick. You see, some people are good at things that they hate. Sometimes your natural talent can actually open doors for you to then use your gift. Sometimes your natural talent opens doors for you so that you can function in your calling. There's some people who are talented naturally at singing, but that's not their calling. It's a door opener and they go in and they sing, but their calling is to bring deliverance and they bring deliverance as they're singing and maybe as they're preaching. There are a lot of people who are good singers and it opens doors for speaking to people and speaking into their lives in a way that they wouldn't have access to those people if they weren't skilled in a particular area. It's important to understand this. It's actually what we call referent power. Referent power is power you have, right, because you're skilled in one area but a door is opened into another area. It's very interesting. That's why you find, for example, you will hear of certain famous people who are maybe talented musicians or they've done really well in business and all of a sudden you hear that they're giving a talk on how to make champions out of your kids. And we all flock to hear them speak. We don't know exactly what they're like as dads and so on. But, it's a, but their talent in one area is a door opener in another area. It's important to understand this. It's important to use your gift appropriately. You can be called to help business people as an encourager and not as a teacher. You see? So sometimes your natural talent can open doors for you to use your gift. You'll be known globally, not for what you can do, but for what God has supernaturally endowed you to do. And that's what I want to walk in. I want to know, Lord, yes, you've talented me in this. You've talented me in this. But what's the thing you've anointed me to do? What's the thing where you've added your super to my natural? When you function in your gift, The people around you are blessed and so are you. And very often when you function in the area that God has anointed you in, there's an ease to it. It's important to understand that. Sometimes we like to force things because we've got skill in it, but we are not supernaturally endowed to do it. Mark Twain said, the two greatest days in a person's life are the day they were born and the day they found out why. Do you know why you were born and are you doing what you were born to do? You know, people have said to me, Paul, why are you so productive? And I've been talking about productivity lately. And one of the things I say to them is that I think 80% of the time I am actually doing what I was born to do. So I'm energized as I'm doing it. You see, many people are constantly exhausted, right? Because they don't have divine energy assisting them in what they're doing because they're not doing what they were born to do. Remember, God's calling is not a suggestion, it's actually a command. For example, I remember when the Lord called me in about 1998 to unlock greatness in leaders. I had this dream, and in this dream, there was this gentleman coming from overseas. He actually crossed an ocean, and he handed me this thick book, and the book was entitled Prophet of Leadership, and around that time, I started my master's in psychology, and I was actually focused on leadership development. That was my thesis. It was on leadership development, and I made a decision that this is what I want to be known for, developing leaders. That's my thing. That's what I want to be known for. That's my space, right? At some point, you realize your life must be lived for a higher purpose. And we see this in Scripture. In verse 2 of the passage that we've been reading, it says, To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, your calling is never isolated from relational connection. Your calling is never isolated from relational connection. There was this relational connection that we see between Paul and Timothy. He says, Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't it wonderful having people in our lives who bless us in this way? What's important to understand is that your calling is never isolated from relational connection. You know, many people are searching for significance and then they want to be independent. But the true mark of maturity is not independence. It's interdependence. It's where I can come and I can say, can you assist me in this? But I can also say, I can help you with this. And we're interdependent. And you'll see that God created it like that for the body of Christ. Not having any of us acting like, oh, we don't need the other. And you see, the moment you have an eye by itself or an ear by itself, it's actually non-functional. Right? If you have a foot by itself and it's not connected to the rest of the body, it's non-functional. It doesn't just look freakish, but it's non-functional. And there are many people today who are non-functional because they want to be one out. They're searching for significance in independence. True significance is not found by being independent. True significance is not found by not needing anyone. True significance is found when you find your purpose in God and you receive that calling and you walk in it. Then you will feel a strong sense of meaning and purpose in life. In verse 3, it says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. That's the type of relational connection God is calling us to. And I believe that in our midst right now, He's calling us to deeper levels of community. We're going to make disciples, but in the context of community. So let love be the bridge through which your gifts flow. My wife talks about it quite a bit, how she found that in her life, her, the flow of the prophetic would be stronger when she had love for the people she was ministering to. But in other contexts where she had grown, grown cold and didn't carry that uh, deep love for the people, she found that the gift dried up. Let love be the bridge through which your gifts flow. God is calling us to deeper levels of community and our gifts will flow in that context. If you're isolated right now, be very careful. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Whatever you're called to do, just make sure you're doing it in faith and make sure that it's expressed through love. How do you know you're doing it in faith? There's an element of risk. You know, some people want to have triple qualification in this and quadruple qualification in that before they convince themselves that they can now step out and minister to people. Very often you just have to be a step ahead of the next person in order to be able to minister to them, right? In order to be able to disciple them. If you look at the disciples, the way they would call each other, To Jesus and say, hey, come, we found the Messiah. Hey, come, we found the Messiah. They weren't these spiritual legends themselves. They had their own issues, but they were still making disciples. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. That was just one of the things that didn't have any value. What things are you placing so much value in right now that God doesn't actually value? And that thing might be hindering, You from receiving your calling in God. How many men do you know that can speak to each other like this? Like how Paul would speak to Timothy saying, I long to see you. I remember your tears. So my question is, to whom are you called? And what's the relational dynamic between you? Are you distant or is there that bond of love? Where there's that bond of love, you'll see your gifts flowing. Do you constantly remember them in prayers like Paul remembered Timothy? Do you long to see them? Does that fill you with joy, just being able to see them? This is the joy of walking in your calling. I want to say this, that walking in your calling and the fullness of your calling is something joyful. It's something that you do with joy. It's not this draining thing. It's not this drag. It's a joyful thing. Think of the disciples when they're sent out. Remember, Jesus sent out the 70, and then he sent out the 72. And it's interesting because when they came back, you could see they were rejoicing. Then it says Jesus himself rejoiced in the spirit. I wish I could watch a video of what that looked like. But ministry in God and flowing in your calling is something to embrace full of joy. The third main thing I want to share with you today is that spiritual resources can be passed down generationally. You see, you're a partaker of their grace. When we are connected relationally, we're a partaker of each other's grace. In verse 5, it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. What is he talking about? Sincere faith. They're things that can be passed down generationally. My question is, what are you passing on to your children? Biological children, spiritual children. You see, Paul identifies a spiritual quality of faith that was passed down generationally. There are many other things that can be passed down. Sometimes I hear people saying, I learned to pray from my grandmother, I learned to fast from my uncle. When I was a young child, I learned to read the word from so-and-so. We've got such great opportunity today to pass on what we carry to young Christians around us and to also our offspring. And it's so important. You know, for some, it's a heart to intercede, for example, that you can pass on or an ability with money and investments that you can pass on. There's some people who are just so organized with their finances, but they learned it some way. So my question to you is, what has been passed down to you by your natural and spiritual parents? Just think about that and note it down and be grateful for it. You know, mentorship and spiritual parenting will actually fast track you in maximizing your gifts and calling. I was speaking to a gentleman today, uh, an evangelist, actually, and he was just telling me about how he got saved and the guy who mentored him this amazing man and how he did it. And he just said, that's how I also do it now. It was a unique way of mentoring people. And he says, I think you just catch something and then you also pass it on. And I believe that's the culture God wants to create in our church and also in the body of Christ. We're making disciples who make disciples. And I'm sure Timothy's mother and grandmother believed in him. Hence, they mentored him. They discipled him. I know that Timothy's uh, dad was apparently not a believer, but look at what his mom did. Look at what his grandmother did. So women out there, there's a role that you play. Single moms out there, there's a role that you you play. Find people around you who believe in what God has placed in you and spend time with those people because they will draw it out of you. They'll unlock that greatness in you. You see, it's one thing to have a revelation uh, of your calling straight from God. It's another thing for that revelation to be nurtured. You see, a lot of us are very good at training up leaders. Few of us are good at giving them platforms to shine, platforms to actually put into practice what we've trained them in, you see. So when we mentor people, we remind them of their destiny. Now it's been found that people become how they are seen by authority figures whom they respect and admire after five years. If you're working under someone for a five-year period and they believe in you, they speak to the treasure in you. How many feel that you get what you appreciate? And if t- each time I speak to the treasure in you and I relate to you accordingly, you become that. If I say to you, this wasn't a great job, please, it's not you. I know you can do better. I'm stretching you. And we see this in the workplace and we see it in church. Sadly, there are a lot of caps that we put onto people. There are caps we put onto people, limitations people put onto you. For example, remember Jesse, when Samuel was trying to pick a king and he went to Jesse's children, Right. David wasn't even called up. David was passed by. And that was Jesse, his dad, putting a cap on him, thinking that, no, this guy, he can't be, right? But there are also caps that we place on ourselves. And I believe that often those are even more dangerous. You know that situation where everyone believes in you except for yourself, I was coaching someone today and they were saying to me, there's a particular, uh, I don't know if it was a 360 profile that she did. And she was just basically talking about how the results came out and consistently have been coming out, displaying that the way she sees herself is less than how her peers see her. Her peers see her as great. She sees herself as maybe average and many people are like that. And we call it a positive blind spot. It's where you think you're average, but the rest of the world sees you as awesome, amazing. That's very dangerous. It's very dangerous because then you don't build on that particular strength because you don't see it as a strength. So what are some of the caps you've put on yourself? Because it's one thing for God to call you to do something. It's another thing for you to embrace it and fully believe it. You will always live out your self-concept. You will always live out how you see yourself. You know, today I'm being thanked by people who have stepped into business as a result of maybe a prophetic word uh, that we've given them or continued belief in them. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for believing in me. Do you know what you carry for others around you? For some of you, it's just about believing in the people around you. And that's how you unlock their calling. For some of you right now, the big challenge is believing in Christ in you. Knowing that Christ is alive and at work in you, not just in other people. The fourth thing I want to highlight to you today is that you're responsible to stir up your gifts. In verse 6 it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is so important. Who's responsible to stir the gift up? You are. And very often, there's no one out there having sleepless nights about your gift. Maybe your mom, right? But for the most part, people have got their own issues that they're carrying. But Paul says to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. You see, you can be called by God. You can have multiple spiritual gifts, but you still have to fan them into flame. If you don't use it, you end up losing it. All right? It's important to understand this He needed, Timothy needed to be reminded of this fact because it's easy to forget about your gift Life happens. Our hearts grow cold. Our hearts grow hardened You know someone can seem like they're not gifted But often they're just not fanning into flame the gift in other situations We've seen that there's some people who are actually not that gifted But they're so faithful in being a steward of that gifting and that calling that they seem more gifted and anointed than someone who's actually greatly gifted, but hasn't fanned into flame that particular gift. You know, life is like those 27 speed mountain bikes. Many people don't use all the gears, right? Life is a bit like um, these cell phones we have nowadays. They're supercomputers and we like having the latest one, the latest gadget, you know, the ultra this and that. But to be honest with you, are we maximizing on it? Are we maximizing on all the technology it has? Probably not. If you're like me, you know, it's at the tail end of your phone's career with you that you start discovering that it can do certain things. Someone just says, why don't you do this? And you're like, Oh, for the last couple of years, I didn't know it had that function. I didn't know how to use it, all right? And for many of us, God has called us, he's given us the resources, but we haven't fully stirred them up. You know, there was a boy who threw back a huge bass into the water because he only had a nine inch frying pan. How is your thinking making you settle? Where God wants to bless you, God wants to anoint you, but you don't have the character to contain the anointing. You see, your capacity isn't set. That's why we pray prayers and we say, Lord, may you enlarge my capacity so that I can contain what you want to do. There's a great healing evangelist, for example, at a certain point in his ministry, he shifted gears in his ministry and he started performing creative miracles. What do I mean by creative miracles? Where a new thing is attached to you. So it's not just a healing. It's actually a creative miracle where a new ear grows. Right. And it's amazing. And this is someone who had been walking in healing and in the healing gifts for many, many years. But at a certain point, he shifted gears. Do you have a set idea of the extent that God will use you? Have you placed a cap on how you think God will use you? From what I know about God is he's an abundant God. He's a God who's more than enough. And I believe that he wants us to catch up with how he sees us. So that we walk in the fullness of our callings. Don't define yourself based on your limitations, rather define yourself based on possibilities. It's so important. When Jesus calls you, he always makes you into something else, something new, something better. That's why when he called his disciples, he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He always gives you an upgrade. He always gives you an upgrade. Do you remember the seal guys who said, when you think you're done, you're just at 40% of what your body is capable of. It's true, isn't it? And that's why you see a lot of these endurance athletes pushing and pushing and pushing. And then they think to themselves, I think I'm done now. But somehow they just draw from something from the inside and then they do another 20Ks or another 40Ks. And they think back and they're wondering, how did I do it? Well, when you think you're done, you're just at 40% of what your body is capable of. I believe that it's up here, isn't it? It's all to do with our mindset, isn't it? So do you think you're successful? What happens if I tell you that you actually have 60% more in your tank? You see, a lot of people have settled. They're like, no, this is fine. What happens if I tell you you have 60% more in your tank? Many people's minds have been programmed to more readily accept failure than success in life. Have you noticed that? I wanna encourage you, don't focus on what you can't change. Don't focus on that. There are things you can't change. You can't change your genes, the genetic stuff, things like eye color, height. If you're short, you're short. If you're tall, you're tall. There are certain things you can't do and money can't buy it, right? You can't change your age. Doesn't matter how rich you are, right? You can't change your place of birth. So don't worry about the things you can't change. I wanna encourage you to focus on the things you can change. I can change my attitude. I can change my friends. I can change my capacity. I wanna maximize my calling in this life. You see, a lot of us know our calling, right? Unfortunately, when we face barriers along the way, we end up avoiding this calling. You see, your calling will often come with things that make you feel uncomfortable. And sometimes it's things like the fear of success, I remember in one of my master classes asking a couple of ladies and I said to them, are you guys afraid of success? Because they were saying, I want to do this and I want to be able to do this and these are my goals and this is what I want to achieve. But but, but I don't want attention and I don't want to be on social media. and I don't. They were avoiding the things that come with success. And what ends up happening is it can force you into a place where you end up double-minded, where you end up in that space where you want greatness, but you don't want what it comes with. Scrutiny being the center of attention. The fifth thing I want to highlight to you is that gifts can be imparted through the laying on of hands. And that's what Paul the Apostle would speak of, right? They can be imparted through the laying on of hands. Are you open to this or are you too proud? Do you acknowledge that some of the things that are in you were actually imparted? How much faith do you have when we lay hands for impartation. There's some people who are so desperate and God does something so powerful in them. There are other people who are just doing it as a religious act and they don't receive anything. Yes, there's a difference. And it's not always determined by the person who's doing the praying. Often with impartation, it's to do with the heart of the receiver a lot of times, right? One of the things that I've learned is that, and this is the sixth thing I wanna highlight, there are things that hinder the gifts of God in us in verse 7 it says for the Spirit of God the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power love and self-discipline some translations say a sound mind so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me his prisoner very powerful so what are some of the things stated here that will hinder the gift of God the calling of God in your life. Passivity. Passivity. We have to actively stir up the gift. Some of you are just waiting and you think that things will just happen one day, you know, presented to you on a silver platter. Passivity will be a hindrance in the call of God in your life. The second thing is timidity. Do you remember how God says to Jeremiah, do not be terrified of their faces Or I'll terrify you before them. I believe that when we open our hearts to terror, when we open our hearts to intimidation, it sometimes can open us to a spirit of fear, which is very dangerous. But timidity will hinder you from walking in the fullness of your purpose. He goes on to say, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, of me, his prisoner. You know, sometimes we can be ashamed of the people who God has called to pastor us. To disciple us, and we 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 we've got this image we want to present to the world. This image of independence. This image of no, 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 I'm not associated with those people. They're not cool. So being ashamed of the gospel is a hindrance. In fact, Jesus Himself said, "If you if you are ashamed of me and of my teaching, so will the Son of Man be ashamed of you in the in in His Father's glory, in the glory of His splendor." Right. It's important that we're not ashamed of the gospel. The Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's God's power unto salvation. Another hindrance is money or the lack thereof, right? It's often a hindrance to our calling. If money wasn't an issue, what would you be doing with your life today? For a lot of people, they are pursuing mammon. That's the bottom line, right? And it doesn't give them satisfaction, They just want more, and they want more, and they want more. And they're like, Lord, you understand. I have to pay these bills. Lord, you will understand. Instead of figuring out, am I functioning in my primary purpose? I'm telling you right now, where God has called you, he gives you the resources. Laziness is a big one. Laziness is a big one. Some people, they've counted the cost, and they're like, nah, this is too much for me. This is just too much, right? Because when God has called you, Much is required, and sometimes it involves some form of sacrifice. Maybe you can't watch as much TV as you used to, right? Um, Maybe certain habits have to be broken. Maybe you need to create space and room to seek his face during the course of the day when you could be doing something else. So there's a cost to discipleship. So sometimes it's laziness that hinders us. Maybe for you it's comparison. You've been comparing yourself to other people, and you've come to a place of... They're so far ahead. I can't contribute. What value will I bring? Oh, if I start writing books, you know, uh, what, what difference will my books make? There are already many out there. There's something unique about you. And there's certain people who trust you. They don't necessarily trust that other person uh, 10,000 miles away. They trust you, right? You've got your pocket of people who God wants to use you to reach. And you've built trust with them. So if you end up doing something that looks similar to someone else overseas, don't think to yourself, well, I mustn't do it. Because they're not reaching everyone. They're people God has assigned in your metron, in your sphere of influence to reach. So comparison is a biggie. And I always say to people, don't compare yourself with average people around you. Compare yourself with your potential. Okay. Another hindrance is actually unbelief. And this is a biggie. A lot of times we believe that God has called us, but we then doctor down the calling and it ends up something very plain, placid, average that doesn't really require God's supernatural help. Let's be honest. The thing that you're saying you're called to, is it something you can do with your natural talent anyway? Right? Is it something you can do with your natural talent anyway? Is it something that avoids risk? And you've convinced yourself in your mind that, yes, that's my portion in life. If you're on your deathbed one day and you're looking back on your life, how will you feel about it? For many people on their deathbed, they don't say to themselves, Hmm, I wish I hadn't taken too many risks. They say the opposite. I wish i had taken a few more risks. I wish I'd stepped out. I wish I'd been a bit more fearless. Procrastination is a biggie. And procrastination is so deceptive because you think to yourself I haven't yet disobeyed God because because I'll do it next year next year comes you haven't done it I haven't really disobeyed God because because I'm thinking of doing it I, I let me now start planning or let me now go for the training Or let me now get mentorship and you've always got a reason not to step into what God has called you to and you've been doing it for the last 15 years you see, it's one thing for someone to say, I need to be prepared. And I'm in a season of obscurity. It's another thing 20 years down the line to keep in that same space. So procrastination is something to watch out for. And a lot of people do this. Think of all those people that Jesus was calling and you're saying, come follow me. They didn't say, nah, I don't feel like following you, Jesus. They all had excuses and the excuses were not, nah, Jesus, count me out. They didn't say that. What did they say they said uh let me first do a b c d then i'll come and follow you and jesus says if you're going to be worthy to be my disciple you can't be looking back and if i can be honest with you i think there are many people in this space today where they're giving excuses let me first do this let me first do that and the call of god is not primary in their lives and please when i talk about the call of god i'm not saying everyone must become a pastor Where everyone must become a five-fold minister, you know, evangelist, prophet, apostle. There are many callings that are not that. But are we doing it, and are we doing it first? Okay? Another hindrance that a lot of people face in the call of God is limited exposure. And when you've had limited exposure in your life, it causes you to aim low. All right? It causes you to aim low. You end up in this place where you, you... you've never been exposed to excellence. You've never been exposed to that high calling in God. All you've seen is people praying averagely, teaching averagely, that's all you've known. And so the bar is not that high. For some people, their main hindrance is actually lack of focus. Someone once said, you can't chase two rabbits, okay? Because if you try to chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither. What about positive blind spots? Where you're not aware that you are good at this particular thing. You're actually not aware of it. Everyone else around you says you're amazing and we're so blessed, but you've got self-doubt and often it's due to low self-esteem. And that's why it's so important when we are embracing God's call in our lives, we need to be whole. That's why as we disciple people, personal wholeness is so key, it's so critical because we don't see the world as it is We see the world as we are and we'll always have this skewed, limited, distorted view of the world around us and of our calling as long as we are not whole. What about lack of appreciation from others? If you're that kind of person who's fueled by encouragement from other people and words of other people and people coming and making you feel important, it's not always a bad thing. You know, some people need that more than others, but just be careful. You know um, what did God say to Ezekiel I would I command you to speak to them whether they hear or do not hear whether they listen or do not listen so the starting point is let me obey God God is the one who's called me to this as opposed to the feedback wasn't great no one said they really liked it no one said they were blown away by my presentation doesn't mean anything There are many times people are in their own worlds. There are other times they just think, this person is so brilliant, they don't need any encouragement. Other times they're they're just too shy to say it to you, right? So be careful of that because that can hinder your calling. What about the belief that it won't make a difference? This is a lie from the pit of hell, isn't it? As long as you believe that you don't make a difference, you don't add value, especially when there are many other people doing similar things around you, you won't do it. But you know what, there's certain people you have access to and only you, and they trust you. And because you're not stepping into the fullness of your calling, guess what will happen? They will never be ministered to. And what about the fear of being judged unfairly? You know, there are many people today in the workplace, for example, they'll never put their hand up to say, can I take on that project? Can I do this? Can I do that? Do you know why? Fear of being judged unfairly. Fear of being misunderstood. People are going to think that I think I'm better than them. So I don't want to do that. I'll just wait until I'm asked. There are many people sitting in church today just waiting to be asked. I was so blessed when one of the ladies in church came up to me the other day and said, I'm so passionate about first-time visitors. I want to be involved in that type of ministry, really helping to keep our first-time visitors here in the church and to make them feel like they belong. I was so blessed by that. I wouldn't have just gone up to and say, "Mm, I'm sensing in the spirit, my sister. You and first time visitors, that's what I'm picking up in the spirit. No, you know, sometimes people think that, no, if I'm called to this, the pastor will notice it and pick it up. I wish we were that prophetic. I wish we had those types of eyes where we just knew this for everyone. No, sometimes it involves you coming forward and actually saying, you know what? This is on my heart. What do you think? Without the fear of rejection, because I might say to you, that's not our focus at the moment. Right? I might say to you, you know what, there's a church over there, if you're really passionate about this, there's actually a church over there where that's their main thing, you know? And that's okay. Right? Otherwise, you have everyone coming and saying, This is my gift, this is my calling, therefore the church vision must fit into it. Right? It doesn't work that way. But sometimes with the fear of being judged unfairly, we keep quiet. And the seventh thing I want to highlight today is that there are things that stir up the gifts of God in us. For example, relying on God's power, walking in love, maintaining safe thinking, right? That's what's meant by a sound mind Right, safe thinking. If you walk in safe thinking, if you walk in love, if you rely on Him, the first message I preached in this church when we opened this church in April 2010, first message I preached was entitled "Absolute Dependence." It was around that time the Lord was ministering to me and showing me that if we want to birth something really strong in this region, you must be dependent on Me. His strength is made perfect in weakness. If we want to see God's perfect strength flow through us. we must come in a place of brokenness, a posture of brokenness, right? I like it in verse eight and nine. It says, rather join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. And this is the eighth thing I want to mention. You are called not just to do ministry, but you're called to a lifestyle. It says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. You see, the calling of God is a calling to Jesus, it's a calling to a lifestyle, it's not just a calling to do. We've been set apart for a purpose. For what have you been set apart? That's what a holy life is, that's what holiness is. The word holy means to be set apart, right? To be set apart for God and by God. God sets you apart for his purpose, right? an interesting thing is your lifestyle has to match your calling. And if you look at Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says, um, I urge you therefore brethren as a prisoner for Christ's sake to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And primarily in that context, talk about that high calling in Christ Jesus, right? But I believe that in principle, it's the same in terms of are calling to be an evangelist, calling to be a prophet. There's a lifestyle that goes with calling, right? There's a lifestyle that goes with the calling of being a Christian. There's a lifestyle that goes with the calling of being a teacher of the word. We have to rightly handle the teaching of the word, okay? So you can't be a kingdom entrepreneur and say, I'm called to be a kingdom entrepreneur, but you're stingy, you're not generous, right? There's a lifestyle attached to your calling as a Christian and also to these other sub-callings. I want to encourage you to understand your calling, to understand your gift mix, to fully embrace the impartation that can come through to you generationally and through the laying on of hands and through the word of prophecy, like what took place in Timothy's life. I want to encourage you to optimize and maximize on the call of God on your life. I want to encourage you to work through some of those hindrances to your calling. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's procrastination where you're deceiving yourself that you are actually obeying God, but delayed obedience is disobedience. There are people who need you and what you carry, and they need that now, not next year. And maybe when you say to God, Yes, Lord, I'm now following you, maybe your following Him is not as relevant as it would have been if you had obeyed the calling even now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're speaking to us. Thank you for your mighty power and thank you for your revelation around maximizing the gifts and the callings of God. I pray, Father, that you would activate us into the fullness of our purpose. May we be full of joy as we walk in this purpose. May we be those who can sacrifice for the purpose and let go of what we need to let go. Thank you, Lord, that you bought us for a price. You purchased us with your precious blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. And thank you that we belong to you. Help us to live like we belong to you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray that God blesses you this week. I pray that you walk in the miraculous. I pray that you walk in a supernatural endowment of the call of God and the gifts of God in your life. God bless you.